There must be some way out of here. There's just too much confusion. I can't get any relief from it. We find Ebenezer standing next to another town guard aloft a watchtower. Um, as the night slowly turns about them. Behind is a small village. There is a wedding party going on in the centre of town. You can hear the sound of singing and dancing as the night grows old. There is then a few acres of almost entirely flat, low-cut grass, and then the watchtowers, positioned every 20 metres or so, put on wooden tripods, stand before the wall of trees that encircle the town. The men of the watch walk to and fro from tower to tower, carrying torches that burn in a blood-red light. Aloft the watchtowers position, uh, aloft the watchtowers, the seekers stand, staring deep into the woods, watching, ever watching. Tonight, Ebenezer is positioned by the watchtower that flanks the only road into the clearing, a dirt track that twists into the indigo and pale grey forest. The other guard leans up as he has been leaning over with his chin on the railing of the watchtower. He rubs his eyes and looks over to the party. But alas, here we are, and here we stay. Forever. <clears throat> Keep watch, won't you? And uh, what? mind the horn. Yeah. Daughter of the mayor's ber- uh, wedding and all that. It'll be a big thing, you know, trees and all that, as he starts to go down the ladder. I'm going to get some grog. Uh, keep an eye. Could you bring me some tea or something? He jumps down to the ground and disappears into the darkness, avoiding as he has waited till both uh, guards have headed in the other direction so they won't le- see him leave as he crosses across the great fields. Right, I'll, I'll the just town. stay here then with, without a cup of tea on my own. Ebenezer, you are left alone here as the night creeps on. You slowly slink to the ground and wrap yourself in your cloak. The trees rustle this way and that. Breeze coming over. I don't think he's coming back, is he? No, he's not coming back. I'll just be here then, on my own. The cold, just like last time. You hear the distant Horse hooves coming along the dirt path. Hello? What's that? You see a black horse coming up the path, flanked by two indigo trees that are almost black as well in the night light. He comes to the base of your tripod and looks up to you. You see there is a man sitting atop, wearing a red poncho and hood. He looks up at you. Uh, good evening, sir. Greetings, Settler. Sounds like a busy night in town. Uh, Why are you here and not enjoying yourself? Somebody's got to do the work around here, and uh, apparently that's me. Well, not much for gatherings, anyway. Those who seek only themselves will find only ruin. Tell me, Settler, why have you not sounded the horn? Do you not value those under your watchful eye? Or is it that you believe so strongly in your own faculties that you think you're the best candidate to decide whether I come to trade or to burn down the village? Truly, I tell you, my ambitions are my own, and I come to this town for my own desires. Well, funny thing about that is... um. Generally, I like to err on the side of caution. But sometimes it's good to let people say their piece. You know, benefit of the doubt and all that. Or are you just waiting to say your piece? Now tell me, Settler, remember your rank. And what will you do? Ebenezer, you look between the man and the horn. And we pull back. Heath walks past you all. You are in your hunting uniforms and he's wearing a bluish grey suit. He comes to the end of the line and looks back to you all. 
Attention! You all pull yourself to your highest height. Bring your heels together and your arms to your sides. You've been training with Heath for quite a while now. Uh, nearly every day, uh, even with your missions. And he's mostly just been drilling discipline into all of you. Um, he walks back across in front of you all. Alrighty. These are the most important people you are ever going to meet in your lives. They will make or break your lives in this field. So I want proper care taken. I want you to only speak when you're spoken to. Do not speak out of turn. He's Let looking at me, isn't he? And he's like glares at you again. Let Olivia lead the conversations. Be polite. And most importantly, have fun. All right. <laughs> it comes to the end of the line again. Um, you're all standing in what used to be an old ballroom. You're in the grand old building in the north uh, east side of London. It seems to be a tier meeting location, as several men and women have come and gone, some heading up flights of stairs, some through dark doorways. Soon a man comes to a large set of doors and opens them for you. He nods to Heath, and Heath walks in. You follow in a line and are led through a very ancient corridor, large windows with crimson curtains on either side. You come to a large door. Heath knocks twice and then steps back, and you guys hear the sounds of an argument behind the door. Oh, come now, Donovan. Enough of your spook stories. I don't care about this King of Arms business. Just get to the point. It comes down to loyalty, Warwick. That's all. They'll stand by us, and if they don't, then it will be duly noted. The door is thrown open as Donovan walks through. He walks past you all. He and Heath look at each other for a moment. Donovan then keeps marching and Heath scowls momentarily before opening the door himself and holding it open for you all. You all emerge into a rather comfortably decorated room. Bookshelves on either side of the rectangular room. Large windows on the far sides, making up the whole walls. A large rug sits upon the floor. Four Chesterfield loungers sit at the centre with a coffee table and a few vases of dried flowers. Warwick is standing near the windows, looking rather red in the face and rather annoyed as well. He has clearly been involved quite strongly in this argument. Uh, he quickly regains his composure as you all enter. He's wearing a white button shirt rolled to the middle of the forearms, a large belt and trousers. Uh, his once mighty pompadour is thinning slightly. Um, by the table sits Emily Bell, a bandage around most of her right arm, some bruises around her eye. Uh, she seems to have uh, not taken much to the argument, as she isn't overly involved in all this. She is simply cleaning and oiling a sword that lays in her lap. Just to stop it from rusting or anything like that. Olivia, you feel a slight jolt as you see the sword. Across her lap sits a broad sword. A mighty and imposing thing. This is nearly her height. Two-handed, long grip with a perfect edge. Yet it is midnight black. The sword seems to take in light around it. You feel Vesper squirm slightly in your mind as he looks upon the sword. You are broken from this moment when you hear the snap of a book being shut. A younger woman sits upon the other lounge with flaming red hair and a long cardigan. She is almost the exact opposite of Emily uh, in her perfect suit and boots, but you assume by the face and shape of the nose that this is Emily's younger sister. Next to her on the couch sits another woman, blonde, hair cut very short, in a cream-coloured suit and black shirt. Another woman, who, once again, you assume to be Emily's sister, but it's hard to tell which one's older in this situation. Heath clears his throat. <clears> the <throat> Kelly hunting party to see you all. Ah, Heath, my boy. It's good to see you. Ah, he's... Feeling your arm a little bit. Seem to have lost a little bit of muscle there, boy. Don't tell me it's this car you've been working on. You know you need to get your reps in, and good protein, too. You gotta stay trim. The two of them move off to the large window, leaving the rest of you with the Bell Sisters. The, bon the blonde woman rises and shakes your hand, Olivia. My apologies for the interruptions. I am Charlotte Bell. It's a pleasure to meet you. This is my sister Anne, and I'm sure you remember 
my sister Emily. This, of course, is Warwick, and by the fire we have Granger, who is just leaving as it happens. So sorry. She gestures to another man who nods at you. He has his jacket slung over his shoulder with a cigarette clenched in his teeth. He pulls on his jacket. It seems he, from his rather expression, was clearly involved in the argument quite a bit. Uh, He makes his way past you all and closes the door behind you all. Please excuse Granger. He has a bit of a temper. Well, this is most of us. Um, Reverend Pevensey is away today. But between us, you are looking at the advisors to the Master of Tear. We are the generals, uh, each responsible for our own domain, enclave, section of Tear. And Warwick likes to hang around. All right, well, if you would like to take a seat, we can begin. Now, I understand that you have accepted a job in America, is that right? Yes, implicitly. And this is not the first job either. You have had several in the past. Hmm. Well, there is nothing much we can do about that now. Uh, At this point, Anne chimes in. And I assume you um, signed a contract with this employer. And if that's the case, then this is very, very tricky to back out of. But as we will discuss, that might be the best option. Too late now, I'm afraid. Charlotte speaks again. Well, then I feel it is only my duty to tell you... I fear you are walking into a great deal of danger in this job. You especially, Miss Kelly, but all of you. Our relationship with the agency, our cousin agency as we call it, is less than cordial at the moment. Things are strained. Emily puts down the sword with a sharp click. All right, let's cut to the chase, shall we? Things between Tyr and the Agency are spiraling. (sighs) Mercy's Creek was nearly a perfect storm as far as inter-organizational politics. It couldn't have gone much worse. Both Tyr and the Agency were operating on Canadian soil, where technically Tyr has the approval of the Canadian government, if not in a very straightforward way, while the Agency had no jurisdiction whatsoever. So, with a thousand plus dead or missing, the Agency has nothing to show for it. Tyr has nothing to show for it. So the Canadian government is furious. That makes this situation all the more complicated. You paying attention? This is where it gets complicated. We have a relatively good working relationship with the Canadian government, so we have been working through our share of the responsibility with them. The agency, on the other hand, is locked in legal battles with them. And those legal battles are costly and damaging to the image of the agency. And they will probably run for decades to come. The agency has tried to blame us. Well, some of that blame has stuck and some of it hasn't. Regardless, things are still in a tricky situation. Now the agency is looking to turn this around for themselves in whatever way they can. The last Master of Tears stepped down just to try to smooth things over between the Canadians and us and the Americans, and it's a mess. But if the Americans are going to extricate themselves, they need a scapegoat. And they can't find Bates because nobody can find Bates, and it's been almost a decade. So they've set their eyes on Weaver instead. Now here comes the trouble, because we have pardoned Weaver. 
We believe that he was not acting under his own volition, but he was being controlled and directed by other parties, other parties that we are now controlling or have under control, if you'd rather put it that way. And well, now the agency knows that Weaver is dead. So if not Bates, and if not Weaver, then who is gonna be their scapegoat? So Miss Kelly, let me tell you this. After this job is over, never, never set foot in America. Not until all of this is smoothed over. Otherwise, Tia and probably no one else can guarantee your safety. You can continue to operate on friendly ground, but when it comes to America, you need to watch your back because you do not know who may benefit from having you under their thumb. You understand me? Upon your hip sits an old lantern. It's flame long dead, yet you carry it. Before you, desert gives way to flowers. Behind an ocean of sand, before, mountains of poppies. They are all the more vivid as the sun sets behind you, filling the sky with red, yellow, purple, and more. You step into the field of poppies and begin to cross it. You come to a hill and look out. The poppies go on into eternity. The scarlet of them is like a deep wound in the earth. Greetings, Wayfarer. Lonesome journey, I see. Beside you sits a man in a bright red poncho and hood. He almost blends in with the poppies. Um, hey. Yeah. Kinda. At least I got the view. It's beautiful in a way. Be wary. The weed runs deep here. How so? So. Fair enough. Let me guess. To be out here, to come to this hill, you seek the path to enlightenment. You could say that. Path to identity. Are you sure that's a road you want to travel? Is there any other road? Those who have been enlightened typically become downcast in mind and heart. When all is known, all becomes disappointment. Then maybe I'm ready to be disappointed. He looks up. I once wished to know the secrets of all that laid behind. I wished to know death. I wished to know what lays beyond and behind. And I found it. Now I see only the cosmos and all its details. I am blind, yet I see. I am deaf, yet I hear. I am wise, yet I know not. 
The path to enlightenment is steeped in the blood of those who have seen too much. But if you insist, you turn back away from him and find a great tower standing before you in the field of poppies. A tower that scrapes the heavens. Right. I'm guessing the tower is what I'm looking for. Eat deeply from the tree of knowledge. You'll know what you see. You'll know what you are. But you'll be cursed with that knowledge. And it will be the end of you. He rises. Like it was for me. And he's gone. The snow lashed through the air, tearing the last of the bark from the ancient dead trees that lay scattered along the mountainside. The snow covered everything. From the trees that had fallen ages ago, to the remains of an ancient structure and the graves of those who lived in them. Through the treacherous snow and wind, a small girl made her way through the desolation that surrounded her. She appeared even smaller in comparison to the great mountain that she had been tasked with climbing. The girl was clad in an old cloak, and on her back was a small box lined with a layer of brown parchment and bound with rough string. She swung the box around and clutched it as one would for a newborn baby, as she had heard something. It wasn't long before movement could be seen through the blizzard. An assortment of small voices giggling and whispering to each other. The girl tightened her grip as a group of spirits ran up and alongside her and began to encircle her, dancing, each of the most innocent and happy faces. Hello, are you a traveller? We don't get many of these around here. A cheeky little boy with a blonde face, uh, uh, with uh, blonde hair said to the girl in the most confident voice he could match. It's ever so exciting, another one said, this time with a girl with mousy hair. Will you come home and visit our village? Mother and father would love the company. A much younger boy begged with wide eyes. He was clearly the younger brother of the cheekier boy. The girl in the cloak felt a pang of regret for the souls that stood around her and their disillusionment with their circumstances as she stepped over the road that was once their town square in this desolated village. She continued walking on. Soon they couldn't follow her as clearly their bodies were laid to rest somewhere in this village and couldn't stray too far. She made her way further up the village and then she looked back and saw one of the older girls who had yet to speak of this group still looking out to her. The others had gone off to play and her voice rang out. Don't be like all the rest. Drop the box and run. For there is nothing good that awaits you on your journey. At least that's what Papa says. The two girls stare at each other for a moment. Then the one in the cloak continues on. She soon came to a clearing where the snow was thinner and the wind calmer. Before her laid a great door, marked with ancient runes that she had once begged her creator to explain to her. She begged and begged. The creator simply laughed and told her to go play with her sisters. It was not for her to know. She stood at the door and waited, staring at the symbols. It means death awaits, little one. Death awaits those with the great burden. 
A voice echoed through the clearing as a great beast meandered through the snow. It came and stood before the door. My name is Cyrus, the great beast of the north, and I am the guardian of this gate. He muttered in a disinterested voice. The beast held no easily discernible form. It had wings larger than anything the girl had ever seen. Its body was covered in thick scales, and its neck was thick and long like a rope. Despite its intimidating structure, the beast had the gentlest eyes she had ever seen. I presume you, like all the others, wish passage through? She nodded, and he looked at her with those great big eyes, with deep pity. Go home, little one. Leave that which burdens you behind, and leave this place. For nothing good awaits you beyond, and this mountain consumes all that attempts to climb it. Don't be so foolish. The beast turned away from her and made to continue on, but the girl stood her ground. He looked back at her. I am trying to help you. Muttered. She looked back at him this time. Cyrus paused for a moment before begrudgingly turning to the door and placing his forehead against it and pushed it slightly ajar for her. Go. But know this once you enter, you shall never see this place again. She stepped forward and walked through the gap made by the beast. She had just only made it to the other side when he began to slide it back into place, sealing her inside. It was a strange new place that she found herself in. At first glance, it appeared to be a glass room covered with vines. From the roof to the floor, with the raging blizzard beating outside the glass. But not all is as it seemed. The vines moved, rising and falling. They hissed and sneered as serpents do. They snickered each other and scoffed at the new arrival in their midst. Oh, look. Another one. He keeps sending them. How many more does he require? One steered to another. She has one of those boxes, too. Should we tell her that her journey is that of a fool's errand? Or should we just play along? Such a small thing. I almost feel bad for it. The voices all echoed around her. She pressed on without a moment's hesitation. Another voice rang out much closer than the others. I wonder, what would she do if I just... A large, moss-green serpent suddenly struck out from the masses and closed its fangs around the small box. There was a loud shing sound. The cackling of snakes jolted to a halt. And the snakes that had attempted to and the snake that had attempted to steal the box fell in two upon the floor and began to burn away till nothing but ash remained. The blade retracted back into the girl's cloak sleeve, and she continued on, now in complete silence as the serpents gave her a wide and silent berth. She finally came to another clearing, the great door, like the one guarded before. And once again, another great beast stood in front of it. This time, an array of different symbols and writings. Its guardian was already waiting for her. It was as long as the greatest of trees were high. Its body was decorated in feathers, each like knives, jagged and rough. It reared its head and rose off the ground, much like the serpents that surrounded them. This beast didn't have the kind eyes of Cyrus. Instead, they were dark and spiteful. 
Why, hello there, traveller. It spoke in a husky voice, while it slid from side to side, looking her up and down. I was just beginning to wonder how long till another arrived. Ah, but what's that sound? The beasts and surrounding serpents had just noticed a small clicking sound that was coming from within the girl's cloak. An evil grin came across the beast's mouth. Ah, you don't have much time left, do you? I wonder how you would react if I was to perhaps tell you a great and long tale of ancient times till you ticked your last. I wonder how that would make you feel to come so close and yet so far. It sneered at her with the same grin. You, of course, shall be wondering whose home you have intruded on with your presence. I am Diabolus, the great beast of the south, and you are not welcome here. The girl simply stood and waited. The beast began to grow angry. Listen to me, you. Oh, so little thing. I may be a prisoner here, but I am the greatest of all the beasts. You shall do as I say, and I say, leave. It snarled, its great fangs, and reared to its highest of heights, but still the girl did not move. The beast's anger bloomed and overpowered its better judgment. It struck towards the girl, but before it could reach her, a symbol in its side awoke and began to burn. An ancient symbol carved on all of the beasts by the one who sat atop the mountain. When he had conquered all of them, he engraved it on them as a pact to command their will. It burnt deep and red in the beast's side. Diabolus howled in agony and flung himself onto the ground. He writhed as far away as he could away from the girl. Suddenly a booming voice echoed through the room. You shall never touch one of my messages. Diabolus. Remember your duty, old friend, or else I shall have to teach it to you once again. The voice faded away as suddenly as it had come, leaving the room silent once again, except for the pitiful sound the great beast made as the burning subsided. It glared at her once more, before slowly pressing its head against the door and pushing it open for her. She had only just passed through when it slammed it shut. The cloaked girl now found herself in a tube of sparkling glass and jewels. The cube continued on, the, uh, the tube continued on like a tunnel. She set off without hesitation. Upon the other side of the tube, water flowed. And great creatures of the deep swam to and fro. The, the girl in the cloak marveled at their ease of movement, how free they were. Do not weep, little one, came a voice from around the girl. She spun around, looking for the next beast. But her eyes fell upon her shadow, which smiled and took off a few steps ahead of her, beckoning for her to follow. Best stay close. Your sisters are waiting for you. Best not to dawdle in the land of tooth and fin. The tunnel of jewels began to climb upwards, and the girl in the cloak at last saw another door, engraved with even more rooms. The shadow danced upon the walls and then sat in front of the door. The shadow drew her knife, and so did the girl in the cloak. Good. I am the beast of the West. In the shadow of the east, I am Gara, and none shall pass if they cannot rise beyond themselves. The two darted forwards, clashing blades and bouncing off each other. The girl in the cloak lashed out at the shadow who danced across the ceiling, laughing and cackling a voice that slowly grew distorted. Tick, 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 better swing quick! She cackled before launching off the roof and knocking into the cloaked girl. She fell backwards, twisting in midair to avoid landing on the box. 
instead uh, landing on her front. The shadow landed on the box and made to slice at it. The cloaked girl flung her off and kicked a pile of jewels at her, causing the shadow to hiss and shout before the cloaked girl, uh, before the cloaked girl's dagger was plunged deep into the shadow's chest. They both stood motionless in this position. The shadow winked away, and the door slowly ground open. The girl in the cloak struggled to her feet and made her way to the door before looking back and seeing the shadow standing at the far end of the tunnel once again. The two paused before moving on. She had made it, at long last, to the top of the mountain. A path made from pebbles led her along and up to the very highest point. It was mostly rocky, but the rocks were covered in a luscious, thick green moss. But there was also an unusual amount of metal dotted everywhere, large pieces and small, all rusted and old. The small area was dotted with the rarest of all things, living trees. They were thin and white, ghostly in appearance, but alive nonetheless. They were beautiful yet impossibly sad. Good morning, little one said a warm and calm voice. She looked around to see a group of rocks emerging from the earth, moving into place to form a great head. It was incredible to see. A strong, whiskered face with a great mane and the largest, kindest eyes, and smiled at her. Don't be afraid. I am Buvo. I am sure your creator told you about he said in a sweet voice. You are the mountain, yes? Yes. Yes, I am. I have been along with you ever since you took your first step up here, all those many years ago. He smiled at her, but she did not return the smile. I can see you are worried. Please be at rest. I'm sure it's a strange feeling. You've been carrying that box for most of your life. Everyone's told you time and time again to be careful with it. Never trust anyone. Now you're finally at the end. And you're expected to give it up. He smiled at her once again. This time, she smiled back. I guess you could put it like that. The ticking was growing louder. Oh. Oh dear. He suddenly looked both worried and slightly ashamed. I had hoped you would have had longer, more time to talk. He looked downcast for a moment before suddenly remembering. Hey, you see that over there? The wind is finally moving, so you should be able to see a glimpse of it. The mountains, uh, the mountains spoke eagerly, directing her with his eyes to gaze east. The mountaintop pierced the very clouds, and as the clouds moved past the girl, you could see another mountaintop, and then another, and then another. They all were bare. You could see countless of them stretching off into the distance. You see them? It's sad to think that once all the lands were covered in life. Villages everywhere. The great beasts used to do battle in each of the skies and in the forest. It was beautiful. I loved it. But it, as all things, must, died. The trees died and then the people died. The weather grew harsh. The world grew bleak. I couldn't just let it happen. I had to do something. I brought the great beasts here to my mountain to protect its walls. Bring the trees back. To bring the world back is a slow process and it requires much sacrifice. It requires the breaking of my heart over and over. But I am selfish. Because it of course requires the most from you. The mountain looked at you with pained eyes, and the girl in the cloak nods. 
the ticking growing louder and louder. She pulled her cloak off, folded it, and placed it on the ground neatly, before getting on her knees and beginning to unwrap the box, removing its string and paper. Her life's work, her burden to carry and protect, now lay in front of her, unwrapped, and at last opened. They are too precious to move all at once. We must entrust each to a single protector, as best to ensure their safety. Both of them gazed down at the small white seed that lay at the centre of the box. She pulled it from the box and carefully she dug a small hole in the soil underneath the moss. She placed it in the soil and covered it, patting it gently, committing it to the earth. It is a hard journey you have made, but it is one all of your sisters have and shall make in the future. This is what you were designed for. But I am truly sorry that we didn't have more time together. I would have liked to have told you many stories. I'm sure you have many stories to tell too. But alas, good night, my child. He spoke softly, like to an infant, as the ticking ran out and the girl crumpled to the ground. Metal banged against the rocks. She landed, her inner clockwork running out at long last. She joined the rusting remains of her many sisters who had already made the voyage, the voyage to re-sow the mountain. A man knelt over her, wearing a bright red poncho and hood. He tilted his head. So, traveller, you would give it all for this. Interesting. The ground gave way like the folding in of a box, and the clockwork girl fell into the void. She fell and fell and fell. Olivia, you are knocked onto your back in the training room of the house of the faces. Your knife skids across, uh, off across the floor, and about half a second later, Vesper also lands on the floor next to you. Heath returns to his position at the center of the room. He is holding a chain with a 10-pound weight at the end with a boxing glove and, and some extra padding over it. He has a scarlet flag hang, hanging from his back pocket uh, that you and Vesper have been attempting to steal before being smashed by the weight that is used in substitute of a spell. Again, remember my line of sight. Use your dual approach to catch me out and keep your eyes off each other, Olivia. The second I see you looking at him, I know there is someone behind me. All right, again. <laughs> okay. He begins swinging the ball again, building up speed. You clamber to your feet, uh, but once again, Vesper has not clambered up with you. Vesper. He gets to his feet, and instead of walking towards Heath, he walks over to the side where you guys have, like, keep your water bottles and all that type of stuff. Olivia follows. This is idiotic. I don't have time for this. And he's not speaking in a small tone, like, Heath can also hear this. I don't have time for this rubbish. I've spent my whole life training. I don't need some schoolboy directs entirely towards Heath. Telling me what I already know! Vesper, this is for my sake as much as it is for yours. I'm sorry that we're being put through this. Maybe it is entirely my fault. But will you bear with it? Please. You see Heath cross his arms and look. Vesper, we have finished this exercise an hour ago if you would simply bond with Olivia properly and follow her commands Vesper like uh, kicks out at uh, some uh, chairs that are on this side enough from both of you I don't need Olivia to win a fight I managed on my own for decades I, I had him right in the palm of my hand you hear Heath's voice come again Vesper from the top. 
Olivia, you see Vesper's pulse rise, his breathing increase, and for the first time in a very long time, you see a plume of black smoke, its very core, explode out. With a flash, Vesper darts forwards, aiming a punch at Heath. And just as quickly, there is a shin as Heath spins the chain around Vesper's arm. He twists it, takes uh, the chain over his shoulder and pulls, flipping Vesper over him and smashing him directly onto the concrete between two of the practicing mats. There's a doom sound as this has happened in just an absolute flash. With another flash, Vesper, uh, Vesper is back up and slices his sword through the chain and stabs it towards Heath, aiming directly at Heath's heart. Uh, Heath once again uses the chain and pushes it just slightly to the side, so it goes to the side of his chest, just between his arm, and just slices slightly through part of his arm. Um, He twists the, the chain around around Vesper's hand, grabs his hand and pulls his arm back like cocking his arm back to his body and there's a pause and then zoom as he pushes his, f- his fist forward and it's just a millisecond as it hits and then there is a smash as Vesper is thrown bodily across the room and smashes into the uh, concrete wall in front of Heath his entire arm dislocates as is jolted out as Heath holds onto it until the last second of him being pushed back and Vesper slumps to the floor, his sword clattering, and the black smoke dies away. Olivia's going to run towards him. Yep, you run towards Vesper, and he kind of blinks and jolts. Her hand is on his face. Vesper, Vesper, look at me. Look at me. He's like looking around like he doesn't fully know why he's here or why he's on the ground. <clears throat> Vesper, are you with me? Yes. Why, why wouldn't I be? Um, how did you, um, I don't know if I want to tell you. You hear Heath's voice come again. From the top. Okay. And we cut back. Hickory, you stumble your way, uh, carrying your lantern... Uh, and you come to the end of your road. The horse was long gone by the time you made your way out of the the tavern, and you have come to the pit of paradise. Right. All right. All right. He do, starts doing, like, gymnastics. <laughs> Let's do this! All right! All right. You step off into the pit and fall down. Ward, you slowly step your way up to the door, the door of all immeasurable pain, the door of understanding. What do you do? You see the body of Mugen at the floor. He looks down and as he sees the body, he notices his new hands. He considers them. He moves the fingers individually, waving them in hypnotic motions, bending further back than normal hands can and flicking them back forward, closing them, opening, and just considering. He looks at the door, and he reaches for the handle with his new hands. Ebenezer, your eyes dart between the man and the horn once again. Ebenezer stands up, and he had like a blanket over himself he throws it off puts it to the ground and stands up are you going to tell me who you are the man in the cloak smiles does it really matter to your duty well then 
You leave me with no choice. And Ebenezer stands up strong and he grabs the truck, the, the horn in his left hand and stands up to his full height, takes a step back away from the wall and puts it to his lips and he blows the trumpet as hard as he can. Hope you reach the first steps of the Great Tower. You look around and see the poppies and the desert, the distant towns far beyond. Barney? Up we go. Otherwise, none of this means anything. She takes her first step. One by one, all of you open your eyes and find yourselves in a cave. The top of it is slightly open due to some large cracks that let beams of light through. You all find yourselves in mid-action. Ebenezer throwing a bottle of oil, Cavendish leaping from a pool of darkness, swinging his blades down. Ward sending out your birds, Hope firing her pistols, Olivia throwing her blades. You are, uh, you are all, or were, aiming for something that was in the centre of this room. But like a dream, it is gone. Instead, on his knees, chained to large stone pillars, writhing in agony, is Vesper. All of your attacks hit him in that one moment as the two have been switched. The oil bursts into flames as, as Hope shoots him. The, the birds flash, uh, slash across him. Hickory's blade slice across his back and Hope your blade stabs him in the chest. He coughs and slumps to his side. Vesper! Stop! Stop! No! Oh, it's not him, it's... Olivia's gonna run to the middle. Uh, yep. Uh, oh, okay. Ward will look for where the switched person would be, where Vesper was. Yep, you'll uh, look around. <clears throat> uh, you are at basically the very end point of the hunt. You thought you were really close to killing this thing, uh, but then this weird, like, bat. Like you feel like you got flashbanged for a second there or something like Bang. that, but you're you're back into it now. Uh, and somehow it swapped its position with Vesper, and you're not fully sure where it is. Olivia, you run up to Vesper, and Vesper coughs. <laughs> Am I allowed to pull this thing out? Give it a go. No. Oh, you're asking him? Yeah. He says, "Ah, well, if I had to quantifiably say, I'd say I'm about four HP, so." Maybe not. We're not going to do that. No. <laughs> Ebenezer, like a flash, has run over there and he has uh, just ripped like a, a piece of fabric um, off his, his undershirt and he's like pushing it around <laughs> the blade. Sorry, I'm also coughing. <laughs> Vesper, Same please, I'm trying please. to save you. He wraps it around the blade and pushes it hard into Vesper's chest to try and stop any bleeding. He's not quite sure how this physiognomy thing works. I'm a ghost, I don't works. bleed. Like, well, I have to try something, don't I? Okay, don't Just move don't the blade. Just don't use lavender. Leave it there. And we need to... We, we need, need to stabilize to unchain him as well. Yeah. Uh, Olivia, you look, and these chains are made of the same thing that Vesper is. They glow in the same way, and you're starting to remember the battle that has just come as there is a doom. The room shakes as a figure emerges through the darkness. It is tall and large and powerful, and it is clad in a full set of armor, deeply engraved in hunter rules. As it makes its way closer, the pieces of armor slowly fall away until there is only a man in a scarlet robe, in a scarlet Poncho and Hood stand We personas don't deserve such pity. You should strike us all down. No. Hmm, it looks about. You have all proven yourselves well enough. I must say, the new sort aren't exactly what I was expecting. But it will do, even if all you do is hold on to the past. 
He slowly makes his way up to where Vesper is, and the chains disappear and he slumps fully onto the ground. And he, like, with his foot, pushes Vesper off. And you kind of go with him as, his, as Vesper kind of clambers down these steps. Let the past go. Doesn't deserve to be with the living. And there's a shoom sound. And he's gone. And before you all, floating at the top of a bunch of stairways where Vesper was held amongst stone columns in this cave, is a hunter's sword. In perfect condition, not like Weaver's, which was already old and decaying before it was broken. It is in perfect condition. And it floats here. The artifact. So, does that mean that we win? Well, that's what we're here to get. Vesper is still alive, so I win. <laughs> Look, we'll patch you up. We'll try. Whatever it takes. All right, is anyone else hurt? Is everyone else okay apart from Vesper? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. Hope? No, I'm fine. I'm okay. fine. I had a weird moment with a mountain. I don't know how to Hickory? explain that. I thought I was hitting something. It turns out I, I think I've been drinking too much. I think I hit Vesper. Okay, what? He looks at... Uh, Moonin pokes him a little. Yep. Ah! Yep. No, no. I think we're all good here. Okay, well. Uh, okay. Are you okay, my good sir? Uh, no, I, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm alright. Uh, Hope's gonna go grab the hunter's blade. Hope, uh, uh, maybe we just want to think Don't about touch it. You go up and you huh. grab onto it and you try and pull, and it's like you're trying to pull like concrete out of concrete. You kind of like bounce off it a little bit and you like plant your feet and <laughs> try and pull as hard as you can. Ward, walks, Ward walks up. Come no, on, no, you're doing it strong. You've got to pull Ward. with the hips. You can't move it. It comes in to Ward try and reach. Selfie as well, and both of you are pulling from opposite directions. Like, e. Ebenezer. Mm. And it's not both. moving. Yeah, but. What, what, how do we get this they thing down? I don't know. Well, no, well, Wait. okay, um, if it's a hunter's blade... You. What? You, you're you're you the hunter. Have oh, for heaven's sake, I have to carry this thing? You're the only one who can move it. <sighs> okay, can someone please take Vesper? I'm currently holding him up. All right. He's... You know he's not Come actually up. real. I mean, he is He's real. He's real enough to He's me. Ebenezer, I not mind yourself. I'm Shut up. Real. I'm saying you don't have to carry him. He's... Okay, while this is going, sword. Olivia, you go up and you reach out for the sword and you grab onto the handle and... You can't pull it either. Oh, nice. Okay, so clearly I am not, you know, Arthur and this is not Excalibur, uh, so... Well, then there's only... Okay, fine. There's only one option. Vesper, like, clutching his chest, thumbles up the stairs grabs it and starts pulling it down and like dragging it behind him as he starts to head out of the cave. Ah, oh, there we go. Vesper? Yeah, that but I've got sense. it. No, I know. Yay, family. I Should... think that might damage the blade, maybe. Should... I don't want it. No, Should Vesper. We... Can you pass it? Uh, now can it be t- passed to someone? It and you like go over and you can pick it up fine. Oh, wow. Okay. This is quite nifty. Olivia's going to grab it from Ward as she walks past. Olivia, as you take it, Choom. He immediately falls back to the ground. I, I, I look, it's, that's okay. I'm strong. Vesper, I can carry what is it. This? Uh, he like meanders out of the cave. Oh, uh, Ward God. picks the sword back up. All right. No. Yeah. Nope. Seems you, now it's been broken. All of you except for Olivia can carry it. Oh, cool. Nice. You all make your way out of the cave.